Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Here's what I want to do tonight as we begin. I, and I'm glad you mentioned Africa because I'm going to envision you a certain way as I teach tonight. I'm very low-key. Uh, I don't use a lot of even high-tech stuff, so I'm not sure what we're going to have tonight, but we have something. But I'm going to envision you as a, a group of people that have come in from different villages, uh, small communities in uh, western Kenya, and you have come to hear the Word of God. Some of you know it a little bit. Some of you uh, think you know it more. Some of you do know it. Some of you don't even know the Lord, but you've come to hear. And the room that you've come to would be a mud-built church. Mud floors, just openings but no windows. Kind of stifling as far as the, the atmosphere inside, the, the, the no air circulation. Um, you probably haven't eaten very much during the day to get to where you're going to listen to me teach. You spend most of the day traveling, either public transportation, on bicycles, on foot, whatever it is. And you've come a long ways to hear what the Word of God has to say to you tonight. And some of you won't be able to go home tonight. So the church is going to put you up. They'll let you sleep on the floor. They're even going to feed you when we get done before you transport back to your homes and take back what you've learned tonight from the Word of God. Very informal setting, like I said, I, I will teach for about three hours, so I need new batteries in an hour, just keep you in mind. And then after that, you would ask questions for another hour or two, and literally when my voice quit, I had to stop. That was the anticipation of learning what the Word of God has to say. As we go through this study in Hebrews, I want you to come with that same anticipation. You don't know me. My name's Gary. My wife, raise your hand. They need to know who you are back there. A little more. I didn't see that. Okay, there she is. And uh, so we're excited to be here with you and to share. I was given the third teaching in the book of Hebrews, which is the first admonishing in the book. So I am here to encourage you, but at the same time, as we go through this text tonight, to admonish you in what the writer of Hebrews has for us tonight. But let's start with a word of prayer. Fathers, we open your word tonight. Lord, we come before you humbly, wanting to learn from you, wanting to hear from you something, some jewel that we can take with us tonight. So Father, we just ask your Holy Spirit would just speak, and that the words that are used are your words and not mine. So we commit this evening to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 2. We're in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 of that book. I want to read the first four verses just to begin, and I use New American Standard, so that's the translation that I have. And he says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels proved 
unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> according to his own will. That's our text for tonight. Those are the verses we're going to look at. I will tell you, we could spend several weeks on these four verses. So any of these men who go up here and teach, they're giving you a, a snapshot of what the writer is trying to express to his readers. And we're going to look at that tonight. This one is supposed to be about drifting. We're going to use the word neglect at the same time tonight. But let's start with drifting away. Verse 1, it says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. I went to the Vines Expository Dictionary. Maybe you have one. The actual book, not on your computer. And I looked up to see what the definition of drifting was in Vines in relation to what we're studying here tonight. Here's what it said. Drift, to flow past, glide by, without giving due heed to the things that were heard, or perhaps the salvation of which they spoke. So what comes to mind when you hear drifting? What do you think about when you hear the word drifting, or to drift? Let me give you the three that came to my mind. The first one, it says, what I wrote down is, he was drifting in and out of consciousness. You heard that said. He was, he, they're drifting in and out of consciousness. They're awake sometimes, they're not awake. That person is not aware of what's going on. For the most part, they don't know when they're drifting in and out of consciousness. It just happens. It just happens. The second one I wrote down was they were drifting down the river. Peacefully, you're in your tube, you got your iced tea, you got your shades, you got your hat. You're just peacefully drifting down the river. Not a care in the world. That's the second one. The third one that I wrote down was they drifted for days in their ocean raft. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be stranded in the ocean in a raft and not know where you're going, where you are, maybe even what time it is. Completely unaware of your surroundings. So in those three, we have unaware, peaceful, and really no concept of what's going on at all in their lives. And a drifting away, when you drift away, it really means to slip, to slip. Let me give you a little definition of that. This is how that would be used in other places if you use the word drifting. If you lost an arrow out of your quiver, it slipped out. That would be one, that would be drifting. Snow slipping down off a slope or off a hill, that would be considered drifting as well. And the third one is food slipping down your throat, causing you to choke. I thought that was kind of an interesting one to see. But the key thing I want you to see here in this is that it's easy to drift. It is simple to drift. It can easily happen in your life without having to do anything at all. We don't have to do anything to drift. Now, when I said that we don't have to do anything, you can 
you can put the emphasis two places. We don't have to do anything, or we don't have to do anything. Either way, it fits to drift. You're on your raft floating down the river. You don't have to do anything. It, it takes care of itself as you go. In our relationship with the Lord, we're doing one of two things. Uh, and, and maybe I'm dating myself because I don't hear it said too much anymore. Backsliding? Does anybody use that term anymore? Backsliding? When I was a younger person and a Christian, backsliding was a big term. Well, he's backsliding. Well, today we'd say you're just kind of fitting into society and it's okay to do what you want to do. But backsliding, really what it means is that if you're not moving forward in your relationship with God, you're moving backwards. You're going the other direction. You are drifting. You can't stand still. Well, yeah, I can. I can stay right here and I'm okay with the Lord. No, you can't and you won't. The world won't let you and it's just your human nature. You just will not stand still in one spot. Go back to the river example. Get in the river and try and stay in one spot. At best, you'll slip less. You have to work really hard to go upstream. It can be done, but you have to really work hard. And that's one of the things the writer is trying to get across to us tonight in those aspects. Drifting usually comes from a slow, not a sudden departure. Drifting comes from a slow, not a sudden departure. It's not all of a sudden and you're away from the Lord. Now, that can happen. There could be things in your life that just pull you away from the Lord right away. But for what we're dealing with here in that drifting aspect, it can be a slow, gradual thing that takes place in your life. You know, and as believers, none of us are exempt from the dangers of drifting. Not the pastors. Not anybody. We're not exempt from that drifting. And it can catch you so off guard in your life at times. And that's why the reader states, and go back in the verses, for this reason, we must, not we should, or we might want to, he says we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. We must pay much closer attention. And we'll talk about that as we go a little further on. And as we work through the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer's going to lay out, and I mentioned this is the first of five admonitions. And, and, and so let me just tell you what the others are that are coming up so you know which weeks you really need to be here and, and be ready for what, what's coming. First one is neglect, and that's the one we're in right now, neglect. The second one is unbelief, and that's in chapter 3. The third admonition that comes is falling away in chapter 6. Number four is willfully continuing to sin. Well, if we don't, I don't do that. You might have to rethink that. And that's in chapter 10. And the last one is falling short of God's grace. Falling short of God's grace, and that's in chapter 12. So now let me briefly explain where we are in Hebrews now as we move forward in these verses a little bit. The first two chapters that we're looking at right now call our attention to the message that God has given to us in his son. 
You heard it talked about in the first two weeks. There are three major sections in these first two chapters. The first one is exposition. Exposition simply means teaching. This is what the Word of God says. In inductive Bible study, you have observation, interpretation, and application. This is the teaching of what the book actually says in those words. And in chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, it says, God has spoken through his Son, who is greater than the angels. We heard that. And that was the main emphasis, greater than. How big is great? It's just greater than anything. The second one is an exhortation. So we have an exposition of teaching. Now we have an ex uh, a, a exhortation in these first four verses of chapter 2. So what that means is that my task, as God has given me some notes to share with you, is to apply what you've learned so far. And then the third section in, this, in these first two chapters goes back to exposition again. And you'll see that next week, where the sun becomes lower than angels to save us sinners. So it goes from greater to the direction. So that's what's coming last week, well, the first two weeks this week and next week. Each of those admonitions, if you wrote them down, get stronger and stronger and stronger as we go through the book of Hebrews. A little bit bolder with each one of them. Now, as we read those first four verses, it would be easy for you to sit here and look at those verses and say, well, that's for unbelievers. Look at those verses. That's not directed at, at Christians. But let me tell you that they're all directed at Christians. They're not directed, as this writer puts them out, at the unbeliever. How do we know that? How do you know that? How do you know that's true? You're just an old missionary. Go back and look at verse 1 of our text. The word we is used three times in verse 1. We must pay much closer attention. We have heard so that we do not drift away from it. The writer uses we to include himself in that text. And as we look back at the first chapter, we see that the writer has developed a scriptural principle. What is that? Well, I'm going to show you. Let me just paraphrase it. Because God has spoken completely through his Son, who is greater than anybody, anything, any being ever. As believers, we need to pay very close attention to what God has said. Parentheses, and what he's saying now. That's kind of a paraphrase. So the scriptural fact has life-changing application. What I just gave you is a scriptural fact. That has life-changing application for us as believers. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for one day or for many years. Life-changing application. So, now, in our text tonight, we're going to look at that application. We finally got to the text. Okay, you ready? Here we go. The writer says to pay much closer attention. Much closer 
not just closer or a little bit, much closer attention. I thought this was interesting. There's a big difference between hearing and listening. It's a difference between hearing and listening. They're both the same thing, aren't they? Not in the slightest, not even close. Hearing means to perceive with an ear a sound made. Let me say it again. Hearing means to perceive with the ear a sound made. Well, what's listening? Listening means to take notice of and act on what someone says. Wife to husband. Are you listening to me? Husband, I hear you. Think about that. You ever do that? You bet. Now, I could be the other way around. I wasn't trying to pick on one or the other. Are you listening? Yeah, I hear you. Well, you may not. And if we do not give much closer attention to what God tells us and act on it, we will drift away. You will. You say, well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm in church every week. I'm here for Bible study. I belong to a small group. I have personal study time during the week at home. I'm doing all the things I need to do. My answer to that is our Christian routine becomes just that. It becomes a routine. It becomes something that we do on a consistent basis, and all the while, although you don't realize it, you're drifting. How can that be? It is. We'll talk about that. That drifting becomes a natural process in our lives. It doesn't mean you have to go far. But the drifting takes place. The second thing we see is that angels speak. Angels speak. Verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty... Now, this is a way to describe the Mosaic Law, uh, which was received by direction of the angels. I think you touched on that a little bit last week. I think Dave touched on that a little bit last week. So, there was angelic involvement in the giving of the law. There was angelic involvement in the giving of the law. Are there other scriptures to confirm that? Let me give you three. Acts 7.53, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now, the idea that angels had a role in bringing the law to Moses is also found in Galatians 3.19 where it says, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels. One more, Deuteronomy 33.2, the Lord came from Sinai and revealed himself to Israel from Seir. He appeared in splendor from Mount Paran and came forth with 10,000 holy ones. With his right hand, he gave a fiery law to them, and on his right hand were his angels with him. There was angelic involvement in the giving of the law. Verse 2 of our text goes on to add this. It says, every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. Is anybody here... Besides me, glad you don't live in the Old Testament times. 
this room would be a lot emptier than it is now, most likely. The Mosaic Law was strict. It was strict, and it demanded to be taken seriously. This book demands to be taken seriously in our lives. We fall short of that sometimes. Now, there were severe consequences for those that disobeyed the law, disregarded the law of Moses. Let me just give you a couple. Uzzah, I don't know if I mean saying that right, U-Z-Z-A-H. He's the one that touched the ark, killed on the spot, dead. Now, there were clear instructions for transporting the ark as to how that was to take place. Uh, uh, by priests carried on a pole and not in an ox-driven cart and, you know, different things. Um, severe consequences of David for his sin against uh, Uriah, Second Samuel, chapter 11 and 12. Uh, Moses kept from entering the promised land because of his irreverence. I mean, it's just, it goes on. How about New Testament? What do we see in the New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom. Dead on the spot. I want to ask you if you've ever lied to the Holy Spirit. What else have I got here? Oh, yeah. Paul in 2 Corinthians is talking about a man who is living with his father's wife. Sounds like it's going to be happening today, doesn't it? The man who was, even though I am absent physically, I am present in spirit. I have already judged the one who did this, just as though I were present. When you gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, along with the power of our Lord Jesus, turn this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is a good place to put in a plug. Where's my little note? Grace, the study we're doing now, I hope you're part of it, either in your small group or as a teacher in the church. Good place to mention grace, isn't it? You know, we, you know, we're talking about the greatness of salvation in our text. The greatness of grace is something else that just goes beyond our understanding of what we experience in our lives. Now, Maybe you treat your salvation the way you treat your will, or the title to your car, or the deed to your house. Now, I'm gonna, I may hit a couple nerves here, so don't throw something at me, but I want you to get what I'm trying to get you to understand the writer is telling us at this point. So you may treat your salvation the way you treat your will, your title to your car, or the deed to your house. You signed it once. It's in the drawer. It's not really a great thing, but it's a good, good thing to have. It doesn't really affect your daily life, but it's, it's nice to have that over there where it is. Basically, we neglect it. How many of you ever take the title of your car out and look at it, if you have one? How many of you, well, maybe more of you take your will out and look at it, I don't know. We just don't. We know it's there. 
we don't do anything with it. But it doesn't mean we don't place value on it. We do place value on it. It's not as if the writer is saying, don't neglect your spinach, don't neglect your arthritis, don't neglect your favorite DQ blizzard, don't neglect your nice warm bed. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't neglect being loved by God, don't neglect being forgiven, accepted, protected, strengthened, and guided by God, don't forget the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, don't forget the free gift of righteousness, don't forget the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and don't neglect the free access to the throne of grace, which happens in our drifting. So what the writer is saying in, in as bold a way as he can, he's saying, this is a great salvation. Don't neglect it. Because if you do, when I say you, I'm including myself. If we do do that, we will miss out on the best God has for us as followers of Jesus. We miss out on the best. Because sometimes we settle for the good rather than the best that God has for us. Is that a bad thing? Not necessarily. But maybe there was something better if we hadn't been drifting, if we hadn't been neglecting in our lives. Now I want to draw it back to chapter 2, verse 1, just for a minute. Because I want you to see that the writer in this verse has given you the answer for the opposite of neglect. Chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. If we pay much closer attention to what we've heard, there's less chance of that drifting and of that neglect. Here's a thought for you, and I'm going to give you a couple of them tonight. This is the first one here. If we do not consider something great, we leave it to convenience rather than commitment. If we don't consider something great, it's a convenience, not a commitment. If, you, if you've got a 10-year-old car over here that needs a paint job, drift a little bit of oil, but it gets you where you need to go, that's a convenience. If you've got a brand new pickup truck over here, clean, ready to go, that's more of a commitment. We do the same thing with our relationship with the Lord in how we look at those things. Now, it doesn't mean that what we do with the Lord is necessarily wrong. It could be better in going upstream as we do it. Uh, Pastor Tony, when he started this series, I don't remember the exact words, but he made the statement, he says, this book is going to challenge you. It's going to cut deep into your Christian life. And just be prepared for that when that happens. So with that said, I'm going to make another statement now. The reason... I'll use some. The reason some Christians neglect their salvation is because they never see it as salvation. Let me say it again. 
The reason some Christians neglect their salvation is because they never see it as salvation. They see it as receiving something. But they don't see it as rescuing them from something else. Someone will say, well, I don't have... I was brought up in the church. I don't have any of the bad stuff that others have in their lives. I didn't go down this road. I didn't have the alcohol. I didn't have those things. Well, let me tell you, those who did in receiving the salvation of Christ is no different than someone who hasn't. You're saved from hell more than you're saved from the drugs and the alcohol and everything else. It's that eternal life that you have uh, that, is, that is saving you. Now, Hebrews was written as a book to encourage Christians that are having hard times. It wasn't necessarily written as a, an evangelistic tool to go out and reach everybody with, although it, it does. It was written as a book to encourage Christians that are suffering, having hard times, that are down in their lives. So maybe you're discouraged tonight. You know, I, I doubt that everyone's in this room is happy and cheery and everything's going well. That's not normal life. You're bound to be discouraged at times. Things just not the way they should be. I will tell you that as a missionary, or yeah, pastor and missionary, that some of the hardest people to pastor and minister to are missionaries. And I say that uh, out of love for the ones that I know, but they're the last ones to tell you they have any problems. I'm a missionary. I, I can't have any problems. I'm out here ministering to other people. And so they will neglect, they will hide, they will cover up things going on in their life. We have the same tendency here uh, to not really want to let others know. And that's one of the advantages of small groups, folks, is be able to share some of those things too. Let's go on, verse 3. After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. The word spoken by Jesus and confirmed by eyewitnesses. Those who actually heard Jesus speak. Now note here that the writer of this book is not a first generation Christian. He's not. Um, he heard the message secondhand through the apostles and other means. So he heard it from other people as well. Now, that eyewitness account also removes Paul from being the possible author of this book. Some will say, well, it's Paul. If you go to 1 Corinthians 9.1, I'll just read it to you. It says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So, um, pretty much excludes from Paul from being a possible author of this book. All right, verse 4. You got my new batteries ready? Okay. Verse 4 says, God also testifying with them, that's the eyewitnesses, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God spoke the great salvation into being through Jesus. Let me just try and clarify this for you. We're talking about a great salvation. It goes beyond my being saved to you being saved. We're talking about the whole aspect of what salvation is. How great that is. 
God works in supernatural ways today. He just does. I have seen it firsthand in other countries. You have seen him work in miraculous ways. But he does it according to his will, not man's. Oh God, I want you to do this great thing through me. It's going to be in his will and not ours when we do it. Jesus said that miraculous signs will follow those who believe. Miraculous signs will follow those who believe. Does that mean that God is going to empower you to do something miraculous? He's God. I can't say either way. He could or he could not. Mark 16, verses 17 and 18, it says, These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And we serve a great God. We have access to a great salvation. And in the overall greatness of our salvation, let me ask you a question. How important is the miraculous? Scripture talks about it. How important is the miraculous in the scope of what we're talking about in the greatness of our salvation? I'll make another statement for you. If there is no element of the miraculous, one might question whether there is true belief in Jesus. Let me say it again. If there is no element of the miraculous, one might question whether there is true belief in Jesus. So maybe you're trying to think that through a little bit here and see how you feel about that. So let me ask you a question. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, put your hand up. If you believe, no, keep it up, keep it up. If you believe that is not a miracle, put your hand down. Okay. Point proven. We are miracles. It doesn't matter where we came from or what we did. The greatness of our salvation has taken us from that to what we have now. Let me give you just a few comments to wrap this up. The writer of Hebrews wants us to keep on keeping on. He wants us to stand firm. He wants us to go upstream in life rather than downstream as the world wants us to go, which is much easier to do, whether it's in the workplace, our families, the movies we watch, whatever it might be. It's easier to just kind of go with the flow and compromise in some of the things of our life. Endure, conquer, finish strong. I will say just briefly and finish strong. That's Chris and I, that's, that's kind of our, I don't know, I shouldn't say mantra, but that's kind of our, our thing for the rest of our lives is we want to finish strong for the Lord. That's how we ended up in, in Kenya. So years ago, we just went before the Lord and said, we want to finish strong for you. I pastored, done other things. Just want to finish strong for you, Lord. And God sent us to Africa. Be careful <laughs> what you ask for when you say, I want to finish strong for you. But I want you to grasp 
as we leave here tonight, the, not the greatness of your salvation in your personal lives. I want you to grasp the greatness of salvation. What that entails, what that really means. Uh, Hebrews has got us dealing with the struggles of everyday life. That's what we do. You're going to have struggles tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. Are you drifting? Do you even realize it? Do you even know that you're slipping in where you are? Are we paying much more attention to his word? <clears throat> the key there is much more. Yeah, I read, I study. I could do more. Maybe I should. And that's between you and the Lord, how you figure that out. Let me leave you with the definition of drifting by a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Kent Hughes. I don't know if it's going to be up there or not, but I can read it to you. Is it up there? Drifting is the besetting sin of our day. And it is not so much intentional as from unconcern. Christians neglect their anchor, Christ, and begin to quietly drift away. There is no friction, no dramatic sense of departure, but when the winds of trouble come, the things of Christ are left far, out, far behind, even out of sight. The writer of Revelation uses different language but refers to the same thing when he says to the healthy Ephesian church, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Whether we know it or not, we have a tendency to forsake our first love, whether it's a little bit or a lot, in our drifting. And I think that the writer of Hebrews, if he could stand here, would simply say, realize the greatness of salvation. What you have, hold on to that with everything you have in your life. This life is short compared to what's waiting for us. Let's pray together. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.